Welcome to the Innovation Meets Leadership Podcast. Real inspiration for real innovators. If you're looking for innovation and leadership transformation, your journey starts now. Welcome to the Innovation Meets Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Bourne. I would love if you would help us spread the word by leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to check this episode, this particular episode out on YouTube as well. We have a YouTube channel, so go over there and hit subscribe. Now, our guest today is Elaine Kane. Elaine is most recently a TEDx speaker, and so we will share that TEDx link. I can't wait for you to see that at TEDx Seattle. And she's been a speaker and a design thinker. She's a creative, and she has spoken at various conferences. She is an innovation consultant, so it's pretty cool, but we share that in common. She's also a trainer, a facilitator, a coach, a speaker, and she's had over 20 years of experience helping companies navigate innovation challenges. Welcome to the podcast, Helene. Thank you so much, Natalie. I'm so excited to be here with you. And so, like audience, of course. <laughs> thank you. Well, like I said earlier, we share an innovation facilitation component and consultant component in common. I would love to just know more about your practice and then maybe talk a little bit about kind of the new golden rule of collaboration. Great. Sure. So my practice is around innovation and I focus on team and collaboration. So my, when people ask me what I do, I say, you know, you know about innovation. Likely your organization want to be innovative, but it's possible that they don't know how. And this is really my sweet spot. It's about the process of innovation. It's about understanding how we think when we solve problems and innovate and how to help team collaborate better together, be more efficient and also be more joyful in the process. That last piece is so important, the joyful piece. I find, you know, obviously you, you want to create with people that you enjoy being around and you want to be in an enjoyable environment. I find a lot of times, like, I don't know about if this happens to you, but when I'm talking to innovation, we spend a lot of time on culture. Like, how do we set the right culture so that innovation can emerge? Exactly. I think the culture is one of the key elements of it because no matter what I do, I can train a team, I can facilitate a process. If the culture is going to kill innovation, they're not going to be too successful. The first time they come up to management and say, we have this great idea and management said, never going to work in the organization. That's it. It's dead. All the work we've done is dead. So it starts with the culture, but the first element that is really important. There's actually an old framework called the 4P of creativity that was created in the 1960s by a world scholar. And the, the 4P has product, process, people, and the last one is press, which is the environment, which is really the culture, what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And to be able to be creative, really, you have to look at those four elements together and be sure that you look at all four. So if you don't have the right culture, if you don't have the right people or they don't know how to work together, if you don't have a common process, language, and tool, then uh, unlikely the product, which is the outcome, is not going to happen. So I totally agree with you. We start with the culture and we start with management style, opening to failure as well. Because if you're going to innovate, you're going to fail. So that is also really important, is to be open to see what happens, because we don't know. The challenge of innovation is innovation is about being in the unknown. We want to go in the direction, but we don't know if we'll be successful and we don't know how we will be successful. 
And so you have to have a culture that allows, at least for a time, to be trying things and to fail or to go in a direction that was not totally planned. And some culture are good at it and some culture, and the bigger the organization, the harder often it is. Oh, man. The bigger the organization, the harder it is. That is so true because I think what you're leaning into, you said something somewhere, maybe in one of your articles, but you talk about the fact that if you're afraid to fail in innovation, you're more likely to fail. Like almost the fear of failure brings failure in to what you're trying to do innovation-wise. Can you talk a little bit about how fear of failure actually prevents us from innovating? Okay, so thank you for the question. Innovating is about taking risk and doing something new and different. And we may, you probably don't really know if we'd be successful. So organizations tend to look at it and they try to measure as much as possible to be sure they're making the right decision. So they're looking at the risk of innovating. But often we don't look at the other part of it, which is the risk of not innovating. So if we don't innovate, but the world around us change, like, you know, COVID was a great example. Everything changed around us. And if we want to do business as usual, we're going to be beyond. So mm-hmm. there is that element of we need to take risk. And part of innovating is failing. But if we don't do it, then we'll actually, we can't just stick with business as usual. It's not going to work. I mean, innovation is going to be what's going to drive the future of a lot of businesses. Even the very basic businesses need to innovate. You know, it's funny, as you're talking, I I think about an organization I worked for a long time ago, really big organization, and we were trying to plan something simple like a party. And we said, well, what if we brought in pumpkins and people carved them? Oh, my goodness, we can't use knives. Well, what if we, you know, did a barbecue by the lake? We had a little lake out in front of the uh, thing. Oh, my gosh, what if someone falls in the lake? And it was so funny because they created this culture where Every time you throw out an idea, it wasn't like an improv team where they'll say yes and, it was a no, no, no. And you can see how when a culture has an environment of no, people can't flourish, they can't be successful, and they can't bring their best ideas to the table. And then your smart people, they get frustrated and they just leave because they don't want to put up with always being shut down before an idea can even almost, before it even comes out of their mouth, right? It's being shut down. Exactly. Everybody's creative and you need to find a way, and I'm talking corporation, in a, a corporate environment, you know, we solve problems. That's what we do as humans. And we want to solve problems in our job and solving problems, we innovate. And, but if that is shut down, then it's a big part of it that is shut down and you either really are unhappy or you leave. Or yeah, just do a basic job and I'm not going to put anything more. And so really uh, an innovative culture want to encourage people's for their thinking and for their wild idea and for taking risk within some constraints. You can definitely have constraints and designers are really good at designing within constraints. So it doesn't mean that we always go crazy, but it can be, you know, for an hour, we're going to throw any idea, including the wild one, before we decide how we want to do the party or anything else. So it's be able to be open, look at a lot of options, have everybody have a voice, and then there might be a time that we make decisions. This is actually one of the key principles I teach is the principle of dynamic balance. Like in a creative process, there's two things we have to do. The first one is diverge and looking at option. And the Mm -hmm. second one is converge and select. And Mm -hmm. that is true anywhere. So when you look at a problem, just don't jump to the first problem you think you have. Look at your assumption. Maybe there's other problems. Maybe there's a more important problem to solve. 
When you look at ideas, let's look at a lot of ideas before we pick one. When we start developing prototype, let's not do one. Let's do a bunch and see what happens and get feedback. And when we implement things, look at different ways to implement things because there might be a lot of different ways that we can take action. So that, that is really the joke is when I, I train people, as I say, if you don't remember anything, just remember the dynamic balance. If you use that vocabulary in your team, if you say, you know, for 10 minutes, let's just diverge. Everything goes. Everybody has a voice. We suspend our voice of judgment, our own first, which is the worst one, and then everybody else, and then everything goes. And then there'll be a time when we need to decide and we need to have really good criteria, which is also something that an organization forgets, is to have very clear criteria about how we want to make decisions. So we don't decide something because you like it or you think somebody else would like it. It's like, this is clear. But having those two steps and have them not at the same time is a clue to success. Well, you're kind of leaning into some design principle, like some design thinking principles. And I'd love to kind of talk a little bit more about how you approach design thinking and innovation as almost kind of like these hand in hand things, right? Like you can't have one without the other. They just go together. Like, I don't know, peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, design thinking is one of the core process I use. So I use a mix of design thinking and creative problem solving or foresight together. And for me, that's the core of innovation. I know there is other process, but at the higher level, the principle of design thinking, and I would make it simple. Years ago, I was learning about design thinking and I met with George Campbell, who was a director of the D school at the time. And we had this conversation and I asked him, what is design thinking? And he told me three concepts and that's always what I go back to. The first is being user-centered. The second one is being prototype-driven. And the third one is being iterative. So user centers is whatever you're going to do when you innovate, you create change. And so people are going to be affected by the change. It could be the end users, but it also can be people that need to implement that change. It could be, you know, if you think about a product, the manufacturing plant, and it could be the salespeople, and it could be, of course, the end users, but all of those people are going to be affected by the change. If you don't understand where they come from, if you don't understand their need, their wants, if you don't understand their life, then it's going to be you're creating something in the vacuum and it's likely not going to work well. So user-centered. And that's something you have to do all through the process. So it's not like, oh, we have the research department talking to a few people at the beginning and then we talk to them at the end. You want to, as much as possible, embed them as you're learning more about the problem, about the ideas, about the prototype, have them and get feedback as you go along. The second principle is prototype driven. And this is really important because we often spend a lot of time talking about concepts on a piece of paper. But change is not about concepts, it's about the reality and how it works in our life. So creating prototypes and particularly, you know, early prototypes that are cheap, that are fast to make, and that enough to get a better feedback than just an idea on a piece of paper. So you can show it to your friends, you can show it to users, you can show it because words, everybody's uh, interpret words differently. But if you have a drawing, that's going to be more specific. If you have a mini video of what the experience could be with your new idea, that's going to be more specific. You can create a flowchart. So there is, and it doesn't have to be only product because prototype for products, that's easy. But I, my challenge is to all of us is there is always a ways to prototype something that doesn't take a lot of time and a lot of money. 
And that's going to give you better feedback than just a word on a piece of paper. And the third one is iterative because innovation is really a journey and we're going to learn along the way. And part of it is failure and really embrace early failure because early failure is not really failure, it's about learning. And so as we show idea to a few people and they're like, I don't really understand why you have this on the top left of your homepage. I was like, okay, I'm going to change it. So things will change again and again. And if you're ready for that, if you embrace that nature of it, then it's going to be much better than if you expect it's going to be linear, a nice funnel that will be nice and you're going to meet all your deadline and everything will be fine. That doesn't work. And so then you get into, you have to backpedal, then it creates more drama and all of that. So embracing the iterative nature of the process, I think is really important. These are so awesome. Thank you for breaking these three concepts down. I, I do think these are just the coin in the pillars of design thinking. I would love to know as a consultant, which of these three helps you to show up differently and what does that look like? So all of them. Um, the <laughs> first one is user-centered. So I have to understand my client. I have to yeah. listen to them. I do all my work is customized because I don't think I can put something in a box and it works and I can sell everything to the same client because I want to. So I really start with listening to my clients, talk to them, you know, understand what they need, they want, what the challenge are. I try to really avoid talking solutions. Sometimes clients come and say, I want this. And I'm like, yeah. maybe that's what we need, but I don't know yet. Let's talk about new challenges. Let's talk about the outcome. So that's a user-centered part of it. Prototype, you know, sometimes I offer a, a few options with the client or I say, let's do a session and then see what happened. And then from that first session, we can build something else. Now that the team, I know the team, the team knows me, they have a better idea that because I think they don't even know they don't know. And so it's a journey of discovery. So making it not prototype, try something and then adapt and then iterative because sometimes you have to go back or sometimes you have to change things. So just when I, I do some work, I want to really plan, but I also really want to be open to whatever happens. And I do improv, by the way. So I use that too, principle in my work as well. Improv is such an important part, I think, of design thinking. I, and most people don't take, you know, maybe they don't think of improv and design thinking of going together. But to me, culturally, the ability to improv with your team, with your client, and honestly, with the customer, building upon what they're saying is really how you create products that matter and that will actually make a splash in wherever you're trying to launch them. And I think I think improv, we don't talk about improv enough as an important part of the journey. Yes. And, you know, it makes me think of the concept of co-creation. When we yeah. improv, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. So one, we have to be really present. And two, depending on what your partner is going to say, then you're going to say something back. So you co-create. And I think innovation should really be a co-creation. Be open to what the person is going to say and where the idea comes from or that new thought. And as a team, it's kind of a big improv exercise in a way, if you're open to it. Yes. And I, I would say the flip of what kills innovation is our easy no, right? It's the shutting down of ideas. It's the holding back of kind of people's hands when they want to ideate, when they want to put an idea out there in the world. And I think that culturally, that's really where we stunt the growth is when we say no, or when we limit their ideas, when we limit their thoughts by saying, we've already tried that before, or 
that will never work or no, right? That's just not something we're going to do. Instead of saying, well, what if, or yes, and, or how could we, or what would have to be true for that to happen? Exactly. And I think that's also why it's important to have a clear process. So, because if you don't have a clear process, then either people want to sort something at too late in the process or at the wrong moment, or we don't know how long we'll want to take. So mm-hmm. at the same time, you want to create that culture and it's open. And you also want to have a clear process about, okay, we're going to, for, you know, for the next three hours, we're going to really explore the problem and everything will go and we'll highlight our assumptions. But then at the end of three hours, we want to agree this is how we want to frame the process, at least the problem, at, at least for now. Same thing with ideas. It's like, let's do an ideation session. That's fine. And we can do it, you know, at the same time. We can do it asynchronous, but there's a time for it, whether it's 10 minutes or three days or whatever. And at the end of it, we have 200 ideas. We also take the time to select them and narrow them down. Yeah. And then, you know, so it's both being really open, but also have that. So, I mean, we want an outcome and we, you know, and we want to deliver on the outcome. So it's that mix of an openness. And also a clear process so and that shared process and language, which I think is really important because a lot of the friction and conflict happen if, and we can go back to your first question, actually, is when people think differently, but they don't know how to use that different thinking. And so people get like, for example, somebody will ask a lot of questions and that might get the rest of the team really frustrated if they don't know why that person is asking a lot of questions or somebody keep up with ideas, which is great, but then, you know, the team has agreed to move on and that person come up with new ideas, maybe not the right time. So having both understanding of how we think, understanding how we think differently and a clear process is really the right balance. It's a yes and part of innovation, you know, the improvs. Well, it's interesting you're saying that because you're also leaning into just some really important facilitation skills. Typically, you don't have all visionaries or ideators in a room. You don't have all executors in a room. You have a mixture. And you're right. Each part of that process frustrates a different personality. So when you're ideating, the people that are just ready to execute, tell me what to do and I'll go do it. They're just like, okay, when is this part going to be over? And they can also feel nervous when they see 200 ideas you know, on the board that can really make them break out in hives. (laughs) But then you got to have people that, you know, they love to ideate to the point where you can be done and ready to start narrowing and choosing, and they can still be throwing out ideas. And that frustrates everybody else because, you know, we asked you to get all your ideas out. Now you have five more and we're trying to move on. And so I love what you're leaning into because as we set expectations and as we make things clear, hey, we're going to time box this hour meeting. We have 20 minutes to throw out as many ideas as you want. We've got 20 minutes to start to organize these ideas and make sure like ideas are grouped. And then we have, you know, to another 20 minutes or 15 minutes to decide on next steps, like help people's brain wrap around how the time is going to be spent so that they can bring their best self to the meeting and they're not frustrated too. Yes. And you'd highlight the role of a facilitator. And often there might not be an internal facilitator or there's a facilitator that does that because somebody has to do it, but they might not have even the time or the knowledge to really think about how you built the session. And a lot of the inefficiencies in innovation happen because people focus so much on the content. Okay. We need to do that. They're not focusing on how can we help the content emerge in a way that is both open 
and give everybody a voice and structure so it's really efficient. And so, yeah, yeah the role of a facilitator can be really critical. And I want to went back to the first question you asked me about actually the, the new golden rule, the new rule that I came up with in my TEDx talk. And I think it's important because, you know, the traditional golden rules say, do unto other as you would have them do unto you. But in innovation, that's actually not helping at all because we are, to your point, have different way that we think about solving problems. And so what I'm encouraged is actually to see the value in different people thinking differently and appreciating that. So the rules, as I mentioned, created it, is see others for who they are and embrace our differences in thinking. And that is, can be really powerful. So first we have to understand how I think, mm -hmm. which we often even look at our process, even like you know, designers and creative. I used to work in advertising agency and they have a process, but they're often not even aware of their process. Yeah. So the first thing is to make the process visible. And for that, I use a tool called Foresight. Mm -hmm. which basically say, would you, we just mentioned there is four key steps in innovation is understanding the problem, coming up with ideas, developing those ideas into prototypes and test them, and then implement them. And each of us have a preference for one, two, three, or all of those elements. But what happens is when we work with people that have different preferences, then we get frustrated and we're not sure why somebody is not thinking like you are. And they should yeah. be thinking about it. Why are they stopping after one idea? I have another hundred and nobody's listening to me. So once we're aware of, I'm an ideator, that's why I have so many ideas. But that person is not. On the other hand, that person is great at taking my idea and making it happen when I really don't care about that part of the process. So you, you can understand where your preferences are, where the other, and you can map the whole team, which makes it really interesting because it really gives you a map of the team dynamic. And then the team understand better where the frustration is. The team can also see that if there is an area, let's say, of low preferences as a team. So I have this team and they were very high on ideation, very high on implementing, but they were low on developing. And so they look back at the track record on innovation. And what happened is they had a lot of ideas and they were rushing to implement them, but not to take enough time to develop them. And so they have a high rate of failure. So when you start seeing that, then you can put in place trainings, tools saying, well, we need to be sure that we're not skipping that development stage that we may not really want to do, but we have to do it. So that's really the power of awareness. And then I'll put in place process tool language. And also once people are aware of it, they can work with each other much better because they can oh, I understand that person asking a lot of questions and it's valuable. So I'm going to be more patient. I'm going to give them more information and they're going to be also working with me better when I need something else on another part of the process. Wow. This has been so amazing. How can people follow you so that they can learn a little bit more about your business and about you? Okay. So I have a website, which is www.strategicinsights.biz. And I have a blog that you can find on the website as well, or you can uh, find me on LinkedIn and connect or reach out directly and I'd be glad to talk to you more about what I do and if I can help you and your team. I love that. I love that. Thank you so much for your time today. This has been a really fun conversation and I feel like I'm, you know, 
I'm speaking to somebody that we we speak the same language yes. with you know, design thinking and innovation. So it's been really, really fun. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Natalie. It's been a pleasure. I love the conversation and to be continued. Yes, to be continued for sure. Well, to our listeners, thank you for joining the Innovation Meets Leadership podcast. Remember, don't just get out of the box, break the box and set it on fire. Let's go transform something. Thank you for joining us for the Innovation Meets Leadership podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Innovation Meets Leadership. And visit our site at innovationmeetsleadership.com for more innovation resources. Today's sponsorship is brought to you by Territory Global. We work at the intersection of experience and imagination. We help you pinpoint problems and turn them into opportunities. We make imagine happen. Some of the best organizations in the world choose us as their partner to help solve their strategy, innovation, transformation, story, and ways of working problems. Learn more at Territory.co.